I'm a prodigal soul. Yeah. And I want to come home. I think that is a longing of the heart. It's a longing of the soul. And I think if we're all honest, it's something that we can all identify with. I mean, have you ever walked away from like a, a job or a situation, maybe a challenge, a relationship or something where you walked away and then later you realize it was like a serious mistake you made? And so you go back, you try and make amends, uh, you, you try, try and make things right, but you find that the door has been closed, that there, there is no going back. You know, have, have you ever had someone walk away from you? You know, they just drop you, they, they go in a different direction. And the fact is, if you've had that happen, you, you know that it is uh, difficult to take, it's hard to accept, and it's very painful. And the fact is, if someone hurts you, our, our natural response is what? To hurt them back. And we play a little game because we, we try and mask it and, and we go, well, who, who cares? Who cares? But deep inside, you feel it. You wear it. You know, we've been in this series, uh, Fashion Statement, we're wrapping up today. And, and Scripture says that the only way we get to heaven is being perfectly dressed. And we've talked about that this is not about being perfect. The fact is we've all sinned. And the only way we get to heaven is by putting on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And for Christ followers, I believe faith and fashion are inseparable. Our scripture we've looked at through this series, so in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you have been baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. When we become believers, the fact is we put on Jesus Christ and we make a fashion statement out of that because we clothe ourselves in Jesus Christ. And we, as we put on Jesus Christ, we're, we're to wear him 24-7. And we've talked about we're supermodels in the sense that people are looking. You, you're modeling Jesus Christ to the world. You're modeling the faith. And so we've talked a lot about fashion. But you cannot talk about fashion without talking about style, right? Now, let me ask you a really tough question, because this is what we're going to center around today. Have you ever walked away from God? Maybe, maybe God was calling you to go this direction in your life. And what you did was go the other direction in your life. You know, maybe God was pressing you to stop doing something. But the reality was you just kept doing what you were doing. You know, maybe uh, something happened in, in your life, and because of that, you walked away. You know, maybe you had better things to do, more important things than following God. 
And here's what I know. For some of you, it was a very deliberate, very calculated decision when you walked away. And for others, it was more subtle. You drifted away a little bit at a time. But I will tell you, either way, you may be sitting there today going, yeah, there's some serious distance between me and God. The fact is, things aren't the way they used to be or the way they could be. See, we live in a two-directional world. The fact is, you can either move toward something or you can move away from something. And it's a choice every one of us make every day in our lives. And what I want you to do is do a little bit of assessment this morning. And when you look at your relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, are you moving toward God? Are you moving toward Jesus Christ? That's the question. And I know some of you, you're going, well, I'm not really moving toward God, but I I would say I'm more, I'm coasting these days. I'm, I'm in neutral. You're not answering the question. The question is, are you moving toward God? It's a yes or no. You're either moving toward God or you're moving away from God. There is no middle and I'm coasting. You either move toward something or you don't. What's your style here? When when it comes to style, the fact is we we have different ways that we deal with things. We, We move toward God or we move away from God. But God, get this, God has one style. God's one directional. He is always pursuing. He's always reaching out. God is always trying to get close to us. God's always trying to love us. And I will be honest with you, sometimes when I think about that kind of love, it's hard to understand that, isn't it? Why is that? Well, because I think we all have limits. You have limits with with how you love people? You know, the fact is, it's easy to love some people, right? Right? Especially people that love you. And even that, if we were honest, loving other people, it's, it's kind of conditional, isn't it? There, there are people, we, we love them, but there are sort of limits to that. We love some people, but not everybody, Right? In fact, right now, some of you thought of someone, you go, yeah, I don't think so, you know. And we have these variety of styles of how we love. It's really based on who the person is and according to the situation. Can we, can we agree about that? God, on the other hand, that is not the case. God His style never changes. God moves one direction all the time. You know, since the beginning, that's been God's M.O. You know, Adam and Eve, they they rebelled and they sinned, and immediately they realized they're naked. They're, They're afraid in that moment, 
and they sew some clothes together out of fig leaves, and then they try and hide from God. See, they're moving away from God, but God pursues them. And when God found them, you have this beautiful story where God makes them clothes. And those animal skin clothes that God made was a fashion statement. And it was pointing to what God was going to do. And it was all about love and pursuing. Today, we're going to look at a story that I think has a lot to say about style and a lot to say about fashion. It's found in the book of, book of Luke. You know, one day Jesus was teaching, and he's in a downtown area, we're told. It was a busy part of the city. And I think when he was teaching, it felt like the fashion district because we got a lot of styling going on in this, in this scripture. It says, but, the time, but this time a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees, the religious scholars, are not pleased, not at all pleased. They growl. He takes in sinners, eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. So the story starts out, and, and we've got the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders. Jesus kind of uh, zeroes in on them. And if you know anything about the Pharisees, they were always styling. They, their, their fashion stood out. When they were in a crowd, you could pick them out by what they wore. They stood out from the crowd, and so you could identify them that way, but you know how you could also identify them? Attitude. Attitude. They were always grumbling. They were, they, they were walking away from Jesus. They were, they were questioning Jesus' reputation. They, they were questioning his misguided love. You know, you can almost hear it in, in the scriptures. It's like, look at, look at him. Look at Jesus. He, he claims he's the son of God. And the fact is, if, if he were, he's not, but if he were, he would not associate with sinful people like that. I mean, tolerating those kinds of people, that, that's one thing, but you can tell he loves these people. And it's in that context that Jesus tells the, one of his most well-known stories about an irreverent, irreligious, rebellious young man known as the prodigal son. You know, it's with that, that simple story that Jesus is going to answer a question for us. Under what condition does God pursue us? Under what condition does God love us? And what we're going to find out, and it's a very simple truth, but powerful. God's style, God's nature is to follow us and to love us and always be reaching out to us. You know, God's style is to love us when we make foolish decisions. You know, you notice how the, the parable begins here. Jesus goes, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. This young man is very gutsy. In fact, I find him abrasive when I read, when I read it. 
He, he can't wait for dad to die. So he goes, I want my share when? Now. <laughs> I want it now. He's styling. He's in style. In fact, it's a style that is kind of in style with our culture, isn't it? I want it all, and I want it now. You know, it's a, it's a, back to that first word we learn as a child. It's usually one of the first ones that comes out of their mouth. What is it? Mine. Mine. It's a natural inclination. My uh, granddaughter, she's, she's older now, but she, she was about a year and a half old. And she's got two older brothers. And she would go in at that age, and she would just take things from them. And so when Ethan or Dason would take it back, you know what she did? She'd scream so loud, everybody would hear, and the boys would immediately hand it back to her. Now, I understand why, because they knew when mom came in, they were probably in trouble. Yeah. Mine. Mine. we get older, the things change. But I think that mentality sticks with us. Mine. It's mine. It's mine. Wives, have you ever grabbed the remote at home? Mine. (laughs) This kid, he's in style. Listen, it's mine. I want my share of the inheritance, and I want it now. Now, here's the fact. It wasn't his, at least not yet. There's something I figured out. I mean, as I was reading that, I thought, you know, as I look at my life, every time I've made a mine-type decision, it's usually a foolish decision. It's usually a decision that hurts me or hurts someone else, brings a lot of pain into life. We're not told in in the story whether or not this dad tried to reason with his kid. The only thing we really know is that this young man is uh, strong-willed and that his strong will wins out. And I was thinking about how many, how many parents we got. Yeah. Well, I think one of the hardest decisions as a parent is trying to decide when to hold on to your kids and when to let go, don't you? This loving dad decides it's time to let go. Maybe, maybe he realized that the only way his son was going to learn was the hard way. So he lets, he lets go. Now, you got to remember, Jesus, he's teaching. He, he's, he's talking to the Pharisees at one point, but he's also talking to the rest of the crowd. You know, you had dishonest tax collectors. You had notorious sinners in the crowd. And you had a lot of people that had made foolish, foolish decisions. Have you ever made a foolish decision in your life? (laughs) 
you know, unwise friendship, you know, bad financial decision, poor dating or marriage or career decision, serious lapse of judgment, drugs or alcohol or whatever. Have you ever made a decision and at the time you knew it wasn't right, but you did it anyway? You knew it wasn't God-honoring, but you went down the path anyway? See, Jesus wanted everybody that was listening to him that day. Jesus wanted everybody here to know that no matter what decisions you've made, that just like this father loves his son when, when he makes this really bad choice, he wanted them to know that God will love them and will love us even when we pick and choose poorly. And I think that's some of the greatest news that you ever hear in your life. See, Jesus loves us when we make bad choices. And he loves us when we fail in life. You know, the story goes on, it goes not, not long after that, the younger son got, got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in what? Wild living, wild living. <laughs> I read that and it does not take much imagination, does it? to kind of read between the lines what's going on here. You know, the, this, this young man, he's out for the glitz of the Baghdad strip, so to speak. He's trying to be a man. And he's styling. I mean, I picture him. He's got Gucci on and Armani. I mean, he, he is feeling good about himself. He's got a lot of bling on. Maybe bought a convertible, jamming the music out. Got girls in the back seat, a lot of girls, girls that love money. Takes his parents' value system and he tosses it. He's creating his own. He's going to live big going to be wild. He's creating his own standard here. Styling. Every day, he's going to a party. Every night, he's got a different woman in his life. He has lots of friends. They're hanging around. And then he loses it all. Runs out of money, and guess what? Everybody else runs out too. It's the way it goes. In fact, it, it happens so fast, it leaves his head spinning. You know, this kid, he's used up. And he went from styling on the strip to now he's sleeping on the street. He, I mean, he's broken, he's busted. And when I read the story, I think, okay, did, did this dad... Did he know that his son was going to waste all this money when he gave it to him? I think, I think he did. You know, did this dad know that his son 
was heading for trouble? I'm pretty sure he did. Was he tempted to go look for his son and bail him out? I can almost guarantee you he was tempted to go do that. But this father knew something that's very, very hard to learn as a parent. The most loving thing you can do for your child many times is let them fail and hope that they wake up when they hit the bottom and it's not too hard. And I tell parents all the time, do not stop loving your kids. There's no limit. You love them. No matter how many times they fail, it's disappointing, it's painful, it breaks your heart along the way, but as they fail, you have to love them. You don't enable them. You do not shy away from speaking the truth, but you love them. You love them. Jesus He's teaching, he's standing eye to eye with people who had failed many times in their life. And Jesus was announcing to them who anybody that had ever walked away from God, ever failed in their life, ever made a mistake, you know, whether it was a moral mistake or a financial mistake or relational or business, he was saying God's style is to love people who fail. The son walked away. The son had failed. The son had it all and he lost it all. He's broke, he's hungry, he's alone, and the party is over for him. He hit the bottom and I mean he hit hard. But the whole time, his dad, his dad loves him. His dad's waiting for him. He wants him to come home. See, God loves us, but he waits for us to come home. He waits for us to return to him. You know, I imagine this dad, he's at home, he's waiting and waiting. He's waiting to hear word about his son. I often wonder, did he get reports back? You know, people say, hey, I saw saw your son. saw your son, he's doing such and such. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he didn't. The only thing this dad can do is he patiently waits, keeps loving him. He keeps hoping. And you read this story and you think, could it get worse? Well, you bet it can. I mean, it spirals at a point. It says, after he'd spent everything, there's a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who set him to his fields to feed pigs. I want you to remember, this this is a kosher Jewish boy. He's got to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything. I um, spent a couple summers with my grandparents. My 
grandparents, they lived up in Carrollton, and uh, they raised hogs for a while. And I would go stay there, and my bedroom window was downwind from the hog house. I'm a city boy. <laughs> it was awful. It was just awful. And Grandpa would get me up before the sun was even out and go, come on, go slop the hogs. And I, I will tell you, I never slopped the hogs and thought, man, that looks good. Woo-hoo. Yeah, that ought to be featured on diners, drive-ins, and dives, you know. I, there were times I almost hurled. I was like, ugh, ugh. This, this boy, he, he's fallen to pieces. Remember, he's, he's Jewish, so even being around a pig's bad news. Now he's wanting to eat their food. He's so hungry, he, he starts thinking outside the bun. Pig slop, ha <laughs> I mean, he, he's hit the bottom. Friends, usually, people do not change until the heat and the pain is so intense that we can't stand it anymore. See, God loves us, and he loves us so much, he's willing to let us hit the bottom. You know why? Because when you hit the bottom, you only have one way to look, and that's up. You only have one hand that you can hold on to at some point, and it's his hand. And God says, you know what, I'm okay if that's what it takes. You know, I, I wonder how many times the, this father prayed that his son would come to his senses. I wonder how many times that this son, he, he's like, please free me from this nightmare. I wonder how many times this son thought about going back home. I bet it was a daily thing. You know, at home, things were so much better. At home, I'd be better off. I wish I was back home. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I know what I'll do. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. This young man, he's feeling regret. He's reevaluating all the bad decisions he's made. I imagine he woke up one morning and realized something was terribly missing in his life. And he repents. We talked about this last week. What happens when you repent? You change direction. He looked at his life, he goes, I'm, I'm broke. I'm homeless. I'm hungry. I've blown it. I, you know, free me from this prodigal soul of mine. I want, I want to go back home. He hits the bottom, and it saves his life. How, how many of you have had that kind of prodigal soul experience in your life? You know, that you hit a point, and you go, I, I just want to go back. 
you know, all of a sudden, it's not a 2,000-year-old fable you're reading here. It's real life. It says, so he, so he got up and went to his father, but while he's still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. I love this part. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. You know, this, this father sees him off in the distance. Why, why did he see him? Because he'd been scanning the horizon. I, I, I would guess there wasn't a day when he looked out the window or he was out in the field or wherever that he wasn't watching. He wasn't hoping. He wasn't waiting. I mean, day after day after day after day. Friends, Jesus wanted everybody that was hearing this story, this parable. He wanted every prodigal soul that was listening to him to realize that that God is watching and God is loving and God is patient and God is waiting for them to come home. You know, Peter writes this, he says, the Lord's not slow about his promises, as some think slowness, but is patient with you. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. There we go again, that word, repentance. See, repentance is connected to faith, and faith is connected to repentance. And I I kind of imagine that Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and going, "Don't, don't you get why I love these people? Don't you get it? These people matter. I'm hanging out with them. Why? Because I'm hoping they'll come to their senses. I'm hoping they'll change their heart. I'm hoping that by me loving them and telling them about God and how much God loves them, that they'll come home to God. And friends, there's something I figured out. God loves us when we come home. And God loves us when we walk away. And God loves us when we follow him. And when we're broken and when we're faithful. See, this father sees his son coming. He can't even wait for him to get to the house. Instead, he just races out the door and he goes down the lane or across the field or whatever and he greets this kid. And he throws his arms around him and he kisses him. And when I read it, I think there's no conditions here. It's just pure acceptance. He didn't say, you know what, son, get a bath. You know, get your hair cut, get rid of the earring, you know, and the the tattoos and all the stuff, and then, then I'll hug you and love you. No, this father sees his son. He sees this kid. I mean, he's probably mad at hair. He probably smelled. He sees a young man that's embarrassed, that's ashamed. All of his failures, all of his rebellion, all of his mistakes are crashing in on him. This dad just wraps his arms around him and kisses him. Looks, looks at the young man's heart. Kid goes to apologize. His dad cuts him short when you read it. Says the son says to him, Father, I've sinned. Sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. No longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, quick, bring the, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. 
fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost, is found. And so they began to celebrate. You see, all of a sudden, you got a fashion show going on. You know, my kid, my kid was lost. He's, he's found. Go get one of my robes. Get my best robe and put it on him. Get a ring and put it on his finger. You know, get sandals and put it on his feet. This dad's going high fashion. And he's making a statement with the fashion. You know what he's saying? This is my son. We are celebrating because my son has come home. And friends, that's what happens at salvation. You know, God dresses us in his clothes, in his son's clothes, the robes of righteousness, and it's a fashion statement, and it screams and it declares to the world, you're part of my family now. God says, you're, you're my son, you're my daughter, you matter to me, you are part of the family. And friends, God longs for the day you return to him. You know why? Because he wants to express how much he loves you. He says, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I can get overwhelmed sometimes. When, when I think back, I realize it's been almost 45 years for me when I came home to God. I, I can close my eyes. I can picture it. It was rainy Friday night, like Springfield Christian Assembly. And I think about heaven celebrated because of me. I mean, it blows me away. You know, the fact is, at that point, when I think about that, it's no longer abstract theology. It ambushes my heart. It, it takes over life at some point because you begin to live with this awareness in your life that the creator of this universe, the, the God that holds the moon and the stars in place, one that created all of it, loves you. There's one more thing in this story that often gets left out. And I think Jesus was teaching it that day. It, it was directed at the religious people again. People that thought they had it all figured out. And it was this simple truth he wanted them to get. God loves you, not because you're good, because you're his. The religious people, the Pharisees, the scribes, the scholars, they believed just the opposite of that. See, they thought if they went through the religious motions, if they gave money to the temple, if they prayed X amount of times a day, if they did all this stuff, if they were good, then it required God to love them back. And so what happens, and most people just gloss over this. They go, I'm not going to teach on that. 
See, the older son, the one that had stayed with his dad, he was the Pharisee. Because in the, in the story, it's the older son, he's walking back to the house, and, and we're told in, in the story, as he gets closer, he can smell the barbecue, probably. He hears the music. And so he stops one of his dad's servants, one of the workers. He goes, what's the party about? And when he finds out, I mean, he's angry. I mean, maybe he saw his brother through the window. He sees his brother in dad's robe all decked out. It was a clear fashion statement. And when he realized why they were having that celebration, I mean, he throws a fit. He refuses to go in. He's not going to be a part of this. Scripture says, verse 28 says, the older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your your property with, with prostitutes comes home, you killed a fattened calf for him? Father gets wind, son won't come in. He goes out. He's pleading with him. Come on in, come on in. Dad, I'm not, I'm not going in. I've been good. I've always obeyed you. I, I've earned your love. I, I can't believe you're going to do this. He's a punk. Seriously, you gave him new threads? It's ridiculous. And this dad says, my son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours who was dead is alive again. He was lost. He's found. Friends, God loves you, not because you're good, but because you're his. And I know some of you have been thinking your whole life, you know, when, when, when I clean my act up, you know, when, when, when I get a handle on all these problems that I've got and put them behind me, you know, then, then I'll be lovable. Then, then I'll come back to God. Then, then I'll go home. And Jesus emphatically is saying to that crowd and to this crowd, no, just come home. Come as you are. Let's start there. You know, I, I've said this many times in my ministry. I have the unspeakable privilege of announcing on a regular basis that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you find yourself, you matter to God. God loves you. God loves you more than you even begin to understand or think. I mean, way more. And some of you have experienced that. And some of you never have. And some of you just need to hear again, God's style is one direction. God's always loving. God's always pursuing. God's always wants wants us to come home. 
you know, you, you could go to the airport, drive over St. Louis, go to the airport, and you could check in and watch all the planes flying around. But if you do not get on the plane, you don't know what it's like to fly, do you? I watch people, they, they come to church, hang around the church a lot, sing songs, read their Bible, read Christian books, 10 groups, but they never experience the love of God in a personal way. Friends, when you experience the love of God, it changes absolutely everything in your life. In all the years I've followed God, all, all the studies I've done, many times I've read the Bible, read Christian book after Christian book, all the schooling I've had, 45 years, the most profound thing that I know. It's the greatest news that I've ever, ever learned. God loves me. See, God, love, God, God loves lost people. God loves confused people. God loves addicted people. God loves sinful people. God loves rebellious people. He loves irreligious people. He loves good people and bad people. God loves people, period. And you may feel like, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't matter a whole lot. Don't matter a whole lot to my spouse. I don't matter a whole lot to my parents. I don't matter to my kids, my friends. God says you matter. You matter. And here's the question we close with. When are you going to let God love you? When are you going to follow God? And when are you going to come home? For some of you, that means coming home for the first time, you know, and just saying, I want to be a Christian. For others, it means, yeah, I've been doing my own thing lately. It means coming home saying, you know what, I'm tired of walking away from God. I'm exhausted going the other direction. I'm going to go God's way for a while. I'd, I'd challenge you so here's the deal we're going to wrap this series up this way are you moving toward God today if there's a little something in you that goes yeah I'm that prodigal soul maybe it's the first time you're saying you know what I'm going home to God heaven will celebrate today for others, that may mean, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I've been moving away from God for a while. Let's, let's change that today and say, you know what? I'm going to change directions. I'm moving back toward God. If I've got some prodigal souls out there, just stand up where you're at, and I'm going to pray for you. Anybody? It's hard to admit, isn't it? <laughs> I think, look at my life sometimes, and I realize 
how many times I've been that prodigal. Didn't seem like a big deal, but it was like, yeah, it affected everything. Let, let, let's, let's pray together. Our holy God, you see those standing today. We're all prodigal souls. God, I know there may be some here, this is the first time. They're coming home to you, and God, I want them to hear the joys of heaven. Realize all heaven's celebrating. God, I know there are some that it's a realignment time. God, I pray your spirit would just put strength under them, lift them up, that they'd realize no matter where they're at today, that they are loved. Do you love them? You want the best for them. And God, I pray you'd clear the path, whatever it is. You'd clear the way that you would uh, open doors. That you'd give them the strength to say no more. God, we thank you for your love. We way underestimate it sometimes. God, I thank you for your son. God, I pray we'd put him on and we would wear him. From now till we take that last breath. God, we give you the glory. We give you the praise with all we say and do. God's people said, you may be seated. Uh, we're going we're gonna to close with prodigal son. Be prayer teams down front. You want them to pray with you. Maybe you had something transpire this week and you just go, I need, I need some prayer. They'll be down front to, to pray with you this morning. Uh, let's worship.